This is We Are Netflix, Netflix employees talking about work and life at Netflix. We're operating at such a large scale across so many different problem spaces, and we want to be you know, rapidly, rapidly innovative. And there's no way for one person to touch those things. And if you did, it would slow everything down. That's Greg Peters, Netflix's chief product officer. And he's not a micromanager. Really, our goal is to give teams the freedom and independence, the wherewithal, the knowledge to make great independent decisions, be creative, be innovative, and go off and figure out amazing things. So how does a high-level executive equip teams to do their best, to figure out amazing things? And what are those amazing things they're figuring out? I'm Lyle Troxell, and this episode of We Are Netflix, a conversation with Greg Peters. Greg's group is responsible for all the technologies behind the Netflix experience, everything from our content recommendation algorithms to our video streaming process, the Netflix user interface, and even some of the tools used to produce Netflix originals. We'll learn about the innovations, the challenges, Greg's management philosophy, and what keeps him up at night. Greg was appointed Chief Product Officer in 2017. Before that, he was Netflix's Chief Streaming and Partnerships Officer, working most recently in Japan. Hi, Greg. How's it going? Good. So you've, you've been Netflix for about 10 years, and the first time I heard of you is that you were heading the Japanese office. Yeah, so uh, I went there to launch the service in Japan to start a Japanese office. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of stuff, which is about hiring the right people across all these different domains. You know, it was, it was beyond just the product and the technical work that we do is in content and marketing and, and other areas that I knew less about. I'd obviously been exposed to from my work here and, and having amazing colleagues. But, you know, it's, it's, it's hiring those folks and, and, and really trying to figure out. So does Reed like say, hey, get on a plane, go to Japan, figure this out? Like, w- what did it look like? Do you go by yourself? Well, I went actually with two other colleagues from here, one legal and one content, which was you know instrumental because they brought yeah. a lot of domain expertise that was um, pivotal to setting it up and, and getting it rolling. But essentially, the conversation was was not too far from like, hey, go figure this out, you know. And so from the time that he said that till the time that we were quote unquote on planes and in Japan and doing all that stuff was like about six months. So you know, it wasn't like overnight, but it was more like this is the next you know big international move for us. And so you know, go assemble a team and go hire a team and go launch the service and figure it out. Having said all that, you know, we did that not obviously in a vacuum. We did it connected to all the technology, all the capacities, you know, the analysts, you know, we had here at Netflix. So it was it was um, an extension of all that work, not something that was made out of whole cloth. So Reed Hastings, of course, is who I was referring to, CEO of yeah. Netflix and founder. Um, and so the the discussion normally in that kind of level of deciding to go to Japan, we'd already launched, I'm, sur- I'm assuming, in, in Europe, in some places in Europe. Yep. So the decision to do that, how'd that come about? Yeah, I mean, as you say, it was the next step in a series of international expansions that we had done in Canada, Latin America, and Europe. And so, you know, Asia was the place that we weren't. And we had been debating and discussing sort of the, the relative market opportunities and when to go and the sequencing. So it was in that broader framework. And then it was a recognition of the fact that the Japanese market was quite different and probably more different than any market that we had launched to date. And so it probably merited a more you know, proactive foot forward to try and go do that. And that was an experiment in and of itself to see what that, as we could assess it, differentially helpful in our success there. What did you learn that was different there? What did we do differently and how did it affect us? 
tons of stuff. A lot of what I would say learnings that that just inform my general thinking about how we operate in different kinds of markets. And like one of the big ones is that you know you can't take the lessons that um, the learn that the practices that are working in a market like the United States where we're deeply penetrated with really really high awareness and apply them. Uh, without sort of inflection in a market where we're starting almost like at, you know, sub like 5% awareness and zero penetration, obviously, when we launched. And so it was elaborating and refining in my mind, like that that there's just really different domains of market characteristics, you know, broadly, without even getting to like specific cultural differences or market dynamic differences that inform the strategies that you use. And then there's obviously all the specific Japanese stuff, right? Like how content works there, how licensing works, how rights works, how talent works, how how like, like, what is, what is a writer for a television series look like in Japan versus what that process and that writer's room and that group of people look like in the United States. Radically different and informs sort of the results that you get and how you think about the opportunities. Can you can you recall something that was surprising to you that we, we learned or you learned when we were there? Um, Maybe about content, how content's different Yeah, I there? mean, even just sort of how the way rights work where, um, you know, getting to the rights to like library series is an example, right? Like library, What's a library, series? library television uh, titles, for example. You know, that rights ownership could be fragmented amongst, you know, the original um, IP rights holder, the, you know, the, the, the writer on the series, the broadcaster, various different groups of people. And, and even that structure, you know, makes aggregating a library of content like a radically different you know, proposition. Okay, and, let me and see if harder. I can translate what I think yeah. you're saying is, so if we think of something like a big television show here, like Friends or something, and you think about that show, we think of one owner, one studio made that, and they have the rights they can sell to us. That's like, right. Simple, so you can have a right? pretty straightforward transaction, you know, like, you know, how much we're willing to pay to sure. license that. Whereas that could be, you know, five, six, seven, eight people. And moreover, any one of them can basically block that licensing activity in Japan. Okay. From a personal perspective, do you have family that moved there with you? How, how yep. was it like? Uh, I mean, it was great. The quality of life is super high. It's always fun. I'm, I'm like, I love stimulus and learning and stuff like that. So going and living in a place that you, that you don't have never lived in before is, you know, a high stimulus kind of environment, right? And so just getting to to be exposed to different things every day, which challenge you to think differently and 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 learn, is is was awesome. All right, cool. All right, so you're in Japan and you're asked to come back and be in charge of product, be the chief product officer. In a technology side of things, my, my upbringing has been technology, there's always somebody in the company that's the chief technical officer. And to my mind, you fit that role. So what is product here? And does it encompass technology? And, and how does that definition work in your mind? Sure. Different companies organize these things in different ways. And oftentimes there's a, a chief product officer and a chief uh, technology officer split, right? And the chief product officer is thinking about the user experience and product management. Where do you invest in this this feature versus that feature? Those kind of questions. And the chief tech technology officers think about the engineering and the infrastructure and how to go deliver all those things. At Netflix, uh, we happen to marry those two things in one function ultimately. But again, you know, it's, it's, it's a decision that different companies organize around in different ways. Let's talk about the product. I think most people that don't work in Netflix yep. you know, go, oh, well, Netflix, it's this show and it's this show and it's my experience with my family and what I do with Netflix and watching it. I used, I used to get DVDs and now I watch on my TV streaming. You know, But when we say product, when you say product, we mean something very specific. So what's product and what's not product? 
the the core component of product, I would say, or, or the bulk of what people think of when they think of product is, you know, all the things that we do to deliver that Netflix experience to you. So what are the applications and the UIs that you see when you, you know, launch Netflix um, and how we deliver the content, how we have a great streaming experience, how you, you know, you do things like hit play, hit stop and go back and, you know, how we localize that and, you know, all these different languages so that across the world people can enjoy that same content. So basically it's an instrument which we feed all that content through and, and deliver hopefully delightful experiences for but in Netflix we we mean more than just I think what people typically think of as that product experience but we also mean all of the technology that we develop which supports the activities of the company in other ways and uh, great examples of this are you know we are developing a bunch of technology which allow us to determine what content to license what content to produce and to make that process of production more effective and more efficient. So it's a whole platform for our studio where we can create content and innovate the process of creating content. So it's things like that. It's data and analytics that we use for the rest of the company and all the things. So a bunch of different areas. So name some things that aren't part of product, that aren't under your umbrella of product. Sure. I mean, well, all the content. So there's there's a whole half of the company, essentially, which is focused on um, the actual execution of, you know, the, the, the decisions that we make around what content we're making and then the execution of that and, you know, all the incredible things that happen when that happens, right? Like, how do you evaluate a script and, you know, decide what to make? And then, you know, the people that support physical production and do VFX and all those things that happen. So that's a huge arm of it as well. And then there's marketing. You know, there's folks who think about, you know, the creative uh, assets that we that are associated with a campaign. How do yeah. we how do we tell consumers and our members about the incredible content that we're making? That's a whole other arm. You know, there's legal, there's sure. the finance functions, those kind of things. Okay, good. I think we got to handle a bit on, on product. You mentioned that part of our product also is like the methodology for figuring out how much we're going to spend money on something. And we've other episodes of this of podcast, we have talked about kinds of some of these things. But there is this whole arm of, of studio that we want to support our productions in studio and all the work around that. And that's recently kind of become a big focus here in the UI engineering uh, team that I work in because all of a sudden colleagues of mine are making apps that help support that. Can you talk a little bit about what we're doing in that space that's interesting? Yeah, the goal there is to give content creators around the world a platform, a uh, technical-based platform to make the process of creating those those TV shows and movies, make the process of telling their stories more effective, more rewarding, where a lot of the work that's that's been done historically, which is sort of manually driven, et cetera, we can, you know, now bring together on sort of digital platforms, right? Think of an app that, you know, enables production crew to do, make the decisions that they need to make more effectively, to have the information that helps them to make better decisions at hand. Um, if we can make that process more effective, then all of a sudden we can elevate the, 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 the quality of storytelling, have creators spend more and more of their energy and time thinking about the creative decisions rather than the logistics behind this. And we can give that capacity to every creator around the world, regardless of what country they come from, what language they speak, what language they're telling their story. And all of a sudden, there's a huge sort of leveling the playing field and democratization of the ability to tell your stories at the, at the best you know, level. Okay. So we start by streaming content other people make. Then we start making content. Now we start really figuring out how we can best empower people to make new shows and movies and such. What is it like for us to do that? What's happening to the culture of creativity around film and video that we're engaged in? How is there a, is there a split? Is there challenges there? 
Well, I mean, like most innovation, you know, there's some amount of speculative effort where you don't really know where this is going to end up, right? And so it's not like we have a pristine, perfect vision in our head, which is how this is all going to work. But we have an instinct that there's a lot of, you know, I would call more mundane things that a lot of people have to go do to get to the process of creating something. And if we can bring those, you know, into a digital world and put a bunch of innovation around it um, and make that more effective, we can make the process of creating you know, more fun, more interesting, and have it be, you know, more efficient in the sense that those cycles, those energy and the tension that would have gone to those more mundane, you know, prosaic things actually goes to the real heart of what is the creative process, which is all the decisions that get made to get something incredible, an incredible story um, told. So how do we understand what that creative process is? And how do we bring technology and, and innovation in a way that best supports it? but also doesn't undermine that creative uh, endeavor and the, and the creative spark that makes it all real. And so that's, you know, that's a very much a, a collaborative process where, you know, the creators have to lean in and help us understand and we have to lean in and help, um, you know, figure out where we can apply technology. Well, can you give me an example of some of these things we're doing, some of these tools we're providing? Yeah, I mean, simple stuff, which I think is where we're really starting today is, you know, even just how you think about scheduling, right? Like, you know, what are all the resources involved to shoot the scenes that you need and you need certain, you know, actors and extras and cameras and locations and things like that. And can we make the process of managing those, scheduling out those resources, understanding, you know, when you're talking about, you know, different vendors and different locations, how do we provide a database that, that simplifies and makes more efficient the process of making sure you got the right things in the right place to make that happen? and just, you know, make that as effective a process as we can. So that's sort of like, at, you know, a lot yeah. of what we're doing right now. Okay. So is that stuff going to be things that we provide outside of our own productions? You know, not currently. I would say, you know, we're working on just making it work at all. Uh, and, and it is, you know, again, somewhat speculative. So we'll see where it goes. But right now the focus is just enabling that even on a fraction of our productions because we're sort of, you know, test testing it out. We've got some good definitions of product. We've got some ideas of what we're working on that people don't know necessarily because they don't see it on their TV. When you talked about the, the application stuff, you know, if you ever see an icon of ours and you click on it, everything behind that to make that happen, so video comes forward. That's part of our, our product. That's right. Um, what do you see right now as some of our biggest challenges ahead? Like, I'm just kind of giving you a big field here. Yeah. Whatever you'd like to talk about in that I regard. Think the one connected to what you just described, that user experience, right, is... You know, we have now brought the largest amount of, call it premium content, right? Not user-generated, but premium content um, into one place where any one of our members around the world at any point in time could literally watch any show that we have available, any movie that we have available. That is a tremendous amount of choice. And that's awesome, right? That is that is incredibly compelling proposition for our members. But it also comes with a challenge, which is like, how do we, amongst that vast library of incredible content, make sure that they have a fun, effective, you know, fast experience of getting to that show, that movie that they're really going to find compelling and they're really going to enjoy at the right moment? Because we all know, like, we may want something on Friday night and something different on Tuesday night and Sunday morning is a different deal. And so the, the real challenge is like, how do we bring all that together and then deliver the right experience in the right way in a very specific, personal way for the right person, right moment? What are some of the answers to that? How are we doing that? Well, part of it is understanding, you know, what different 
people's tastes are and sort of what are their entertainment needs at a given moment and making sure that we're um, using all the intelligence and logic that we have to deliver that right experience, those right titles to the right person at the right time. But that's, you know, it's a work in progress. So it seems like that answer is the same answer that I would have given three years ago. So what do you see now that's different? I think you're right in the sense that at some high level, it, it would be the same answer. But then when we sort of dig one level deeper, I think it is changing and morphing. And, I, and some, some broad you know, axes or dimensions that it's changing on is one is the kind of content that we are producing is broadening, right? So three years ago, I think, you know, think about unscripted as an example, we would have not had a presence there. We have a very big and, and growing really rapidly presence there. So uh, unscripted means documentaries and maybe uh, what, other, what other shows? Yeah, are? and I think, you know, documentaries, we've actually had a long story okay, history. So, so this is more, I uh, call it reality shows or our talk know, shows. Yeah, or cooking shows would okay. be a great okay, example okay. there. And I think it's, it's reasonable to presume that, you know, how people connect with those shows, when they want those shows. Um, those are different use cases, different need states than necessarily like a linear scripted narrative like yeah. the, the television series that were sort of, you know, started our original content in. So that's one whole broadening and how do we provide the right user experience for, for that specific situation. The other one is just that as we produce more and more content, more of the shows that we are making are essentially unknown when they are delivered to our members, right? Versus a licensed show, which, you know, maybe has had a run on a TV channel or if it's been promoted as a movie, let's say, in theaters. And there's some maybe built-in awareness around that. And so we have to get, you know, really good at explaining to our users the show you've never heard of before, we think you're going to really, really love it. But why? Why are you going to love it? What is cool about this show for you? And so developing an increasing capacity and sophistication around how we make that connection in a real meaningful way is, is probably, you know, I think we're, we're doing more and more of and how that might have changed from yeah. three years ago. That's interesting because, of course, the, the group that's focusing a bit on this new content type is actually the group I work on. Yep. And, and it is true that the good example of that would be a talk show, like a Son Minaj show, right? Yep. That's a whole bunch of episodes, and in normal shows, you'd watch the first episode first. But, of course, the most recent episode is the one that's contemporary, more contemporary potentially, right? right? So, so we want to change it. Yeah, it's basically flipped on its head compared to where you would look at a linear narrative, right, yeah. where you wouldn't want to start the current episode because you want to get the whole story that comes before. But now you want the most topical thing, right? Like, what's, what's he talking about now that's super hot and relevant, right? Yeah, yeah. What about, like, you wake up in cold sweat? What kind of thing would cause that? Well, uh, you know, I mean— not delivering on our users' expectations in a way that satisfies our users is sort of, you know, that would be the really bad thing. And I Failing at the first one is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it, it's really, when I think about it, there's no sort of like, um, you know, sharp, cold sweat, you know, moment. But I, I really think about it as more like, you know, we've got so much potential to do, you know, to do incredible things, I think, for content creators and for the consumers of that content, our members. And so um, it's, you know, it's under delivering on that promise that that's sort of the slow lingering cold sweat in the background. There are some challenges that emerge in different markets, like more phone viewing potentially or different bandwidth problems. In that space, where are we doing well and where are we still looking to improve? Yeah, I, I would say there's tons of room to get better and better. And, and sort of every every day that we're in a market, we learn something more about what are those things that we need to go do. And, and we try and think about it as how do we meet that specific market's needs, but also how do we do it in a way that learns a generalizable lesson that we can bring to the rest of the world, right? An example, you, you brought up a great one, which I think um, is in a bunch of countries around the world, maybe the mobile network uh, infrastructure isn't as strong, right? And so, you know, when you're out and about and you're roaming and maybe you're, 
you know, you're walking down the street or you're on the corner waiting for a bus, you know, you don't have a robust high bandwidth connection. And so how do we bring um, a great experience in that world? And that's about like efficient encode so that literally at a couple hundred kilobits per second, you can have a great, you know, experience or downloads even. So when you're really like have no connection at all, how do we allow you to download? And, and, and now what we're doing now is how do we automate that, that download process? So you just have content ready to go, right? So that's great for those, call it, let's say, emerging markets, you know, if you want to broad brush it. But turns out that, you know, if you're in the middle of the United States or Western Europe, there's some places you don't have great network connectivity. And if you have a really efficient, low bandwidth, uh, you know, low bit rate kind of encode, you can get a great experience in those places too. Or it turns out, you know, sometimes you hop on a plane and you don't have any connectivity necessarily in that case. So those solutions which are sort of sparked by um, specific conditions in different markets that we're learning about, we also try to figure out a way to how to generalize them and then bring some value to our members around the world no matter, you know, what market they're in. You talk about like bitrate and stuff. That's talking about that's talking about how much you can compress video. Yeah, um, it's hard to talk about this in broad sense. We could probably get really geeky about it. Sure. Let's not do that. But okay. just in general, are we doing things that are pushing video encoding broader than Netflix? Like we run uh, an iOS application, for example, and that's on Apple's platform, so they're involved in that. And then we put something on a, a Sony TV, and they're involved. So are we? How does that relationship work? How how do we define that new spec or do that kind of thing? Yeah, we, we work at that level, but maybe more to your point, we work at sort of like a standards body level where we think about um, setting new standards for more efficient uh, video encoding. More efficient just basically means that at a given quality of connection, you get better video, right? You get higher quality video and it just looks looks better, right? And we, I think we've all seen from the early days of the internet sort of what bad connection video looks like pixelated and blocky and things like that. So we work with the standards bodies to try and sort of uh, um, bring our perspective on how do we collectively as an industry deliver higher quality. Okay. And are, have we been changing things? So this, this operates at sort of different timescales, right? There's a standards body thing, which is sort of a long timescale, right? But then there's more narrowly that like what within a given standards, how we work to drive more efficiency. And we've, I mean, we've done incredible, like, I mean, mind-blowing in my mind, efficiency improvements at that sort of more narrow time scale, right? You mean some engineers have like gone, look at what we can do now. And, and they've done things like, they say they, they look at anime, right, as an example, which is, you know, visually it's a less complicated video than like real life kind of video, right? Because there's less gradients, less shadows, like there's broad exactly, swaps exactly. of color. Just in terms okay. of how it's, how it's um, produced. And so it's a candidate for like wickedly efficient video encoding, right? And so they had specific technologies that they applied to that and looked at it on a title by title basis. So rather than taking sort of one size fits all, they got super specific and are able to drive like incredibly looking anime at just bit rates that are so low it would blow your mind. It blew right. my mind at least. Yeah, right? yeah. How'd that show up to you as a chief product officer? Well, we you know we we work we you know sort of I, I get to uh, talk with and interact with the encoding team as they sort of you know propose new ideas. But it's really you know it's it's a great example where I mean they're off and running right. They have what we call the context or the goals, which are like, hey, let's make this more efficient so we can deliver a better experience to our users across a range of conditions. And they come up with brilliant creative ideas to go deliver upon those. And then mostly I get to see the results and go, oh my god, that's I never would have guessed that we could get to that, yeah. that low. I like the idea that like they're off and running and then you see some stuff kind of like you know what their goals are because somebody's telling you at some point you see a memo or whatever. But it's interesting how you're not hands-on on everything. 
I was talking to, to my wife about interviewing you, and she's like, who is this person? I was like, oh, he's, you know, my boss's boss's boss. You know, I work in his Oregon. He's the product, you know. And her response was, oh, well, so you in meetings? I was like, no, I'm not really in meetings, but I know him and we chat. Not really. It was hard to explain from outside how flat the company is at some level and also how hands-off people are. Yep. Like when you came from Japan and took over that role, the entire org theoretically changed. I didn't notice it. That's the goal, right? Um, to some degree, is that one way to think about it is like every decision that I'm involved in is a question about like what context, what goals were not set, what's not happening in the org that would allow that team or that group to independently decide what the right thing to do is and then move forward because we're operating at such a large scale across so many different problem spaces and we want to be, you know, rapidly, rapidly innovative. And there's no way for one person to touch those things. And if you did, it would slow everything down. So really our goal is to give teams the freedom and independence, the wherewithal, the knowledge to make great independent decisions, be creative, be innovative, and go off and figure out amazing things. At other companies you were at, did that exist? Is this really different? Has it been hard to adjust? I know you've been here a long time. Yeah, I have been here longer than I've been anywhere else and for a long time. But I mean, in my experience, it's quite different. And I think that other companies aspire to do those things. I certainly heard those those themes come out. But, you know, from talking to my peers and talking to people who have come in and left and, you know, just sort of getting that sort of broader landscape, I think we do it quite well. I aspire to do it even better than we do today. And so there's definitely room for improvement. But I'm 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 proud of how we do it. Aren't you ever tempted to just tell somebody what to do? That temptation exists every day, but it's an easy and false way to achieve something. Why? Because it overweights the narrow and immediate benefit and risk, right? Which is you see something happening, which is like, oh, we should do this, right? But what it misses is a couple things. One, to your point previously, right? It misses, you know, like, why do I have better knowledge than the person that's closer to what's going on? In fact, as a general principle, it's it's almost certainly the reverse, right? And secondly, you know, even if I do, let's just say, have a better, you know, insider judgment, right? It's deeply um, undermining of that independent innovation and decision-making that we seek to um, foster in the company. You know, how do we give agency ownership knowledge, capacity, wherewithal for people to make decisions. And if you're jumping in and subverting that, you're ultimately degrading what is the real capacity for innovation in the company over the long term. Okay. So in that in that space, besides hiring, what large decisions have you brought enough context together, enough people together and made a decision? What kind of change have you made to the company recently? Yeah. I mean, if you, Examples. If you, if you say, I mean, another way of saying it is like, what do you do, what right? What do you do yeah, here? Given that you seek to make no decision, what do you do? I mean, I, I would say that, you know, you know, my job is to make sure that the senior leadership of that product organization are the right people that they're organized in the right way to be most effective, and that the highest level strategy components, those decisions which sort of like roll up beyond all of those leaders, right, are the decisions that I, you know, focus on. So that could be super high level principles around what determines a win or a success from a product perspective. What are what are the things that we're seeking to optimize, right? Mm-hmm. That allow then those teams to independently go off and within that sort of higher level goal or what we call context, go make a bunch of decisions to be effective. Can you give me an example of that? 
a good example, and, and it's one that sort of that precedes me, so I, I don't take credit for it by any stretch of imagination, but an example of like what that is, is like, you know, just saying like, you know, mostly what informs our thinking is member joy. You know, we connect member joy based on do they choose to continue to subscribe with us as the, the most direct sense of what we have that we're satisfying them. And then from that flows a bunch of things like, you know, um, you know, measuring engagement and things like that as a proxy for that. And that allows product teams to go off and, and look at those as metrics of success and then organize their activities and measure their, their success or not um, based on that. Okay. What, what do you think we do exceptionally? Like if you were to say one thing Netflix is doing amazingly well, what is it? Or in product specifically? I'd give you two answers maybe to that. And one's in the product level and one maybe one's at the company okay. level. So, But at the product level, you know, I think we're... Um, we're really rigorous um, in our thing in, in in making our decisions in a sort of reality based data oriented way um, that allows us to ensure that we're delivering you know more value to our members ultimately. Um, in a company way, I think frankly one of the things that we're incredible at is this really really tough blending of what is ultimately a creative endeavor, which sort of in some ways, is the antithesis of that sort of, you know, very data-driven, highly analytical process. But marrying that up with those components, understanding selectively where one applies and where one doesn't apply and how you fuse them together to deliver an entertainment experience, which is ultimately anchored in a creative expression. Can you give me an example of that dichotomy or that, that blend? So our creative execs, we have all these creative execs uh, in in Hollywood who are making decisions around the content that we make. But then we give them a bunch of data and a bunch of um, modeling and things like that, which they use to inform their decisions. You know, we're not trying to have the data make the decision because that's that's ultimately not the way to get that great creative expression. But it it buttresses and supports the decision-making capacity so they can take those components and form their instinct and use it to then to, to jump off from there and then apply all those other, you know, things that we can't actually describe that happens in the human head to make a really good informed judgment around um, a creative decision. When I first started five years ago, half the time you've been here, the company felt small. Like there's maybe a thousand, twelve hundred people like that. It was big enough where I wouldn't know everybody's names, but I'd recognize everybody, everybody's faces. As we've like doubled or more than that in size. What what's been challenging for us as we've grown like this? You know, I think and, that, and when I started, it was four hundred people, right? So it's you, you know, could know it, everybody's name. Yeah, yeah, for sure, you did. And you know, in the streaming team at that point, we fit in one room. I mean, it was literally one conference room. We fit everybody that was involved in streaming in that one room. Um, you know, I think you know what we've been incrementally challenged with and what we're still sort of incrementally working through and the challenges we have ahead of us. Part of it is like, you know, how do you organize a, a company that is 4,000, 5,000 people growing to, let's say, 10,000 people over some period of time in the ways that we just described, which allows that, you know, information, that context, the goals, the strategy to be broadly understood lots of independent decision-making, independent action, but understanding that at some level, too, some amount of coordination in that is required to get to the actual best result for the company and for our members and for our creative partners. And so how do we think about structures that allow that context to be shared efficiently, that maybe encode 
some of that strategy into, you know, whether it's sort of like technical infrastructures that encode a bunch of decisions that we've made from architecture and, and technology decisions that make it easy for people to sort of independently operate in that, but not have to rethink about like every, you know, um, every architecture choice that they make, sure. right? Yeah. So those, those are examples that I think that we we have constantly faced, it, faced constantly sort of, you know, overcome, but we'll we'll absolutely continue to face going forward. Yeah. All right. You sit down at your house yep. and you're going to watch a show. What are you watching on? What are you watching? And what does it feel like to watch Netflix? Attempt to watch on a wide, wide diversity of devices because I feel like that's my responsibility. So my family always finds it first frustrating, and now they find it funny that there's a constantly a new TV coming in, or there's a, like a new set top box, or whatever. But I just constantly rotating devices. So um, I pretty much try and watch on almost everything, um, and and a lot of the new devices just a leading indicator for the kind of you know uh, user experience and innovation work that we are doing. And then what what do I watch? Yeah, what are you watching? I, I mean, I generally try and watch widely as well, right? Um, you know, there used to be a time that every new original that we made, I felt like it was my responsibility to watch. We're I, way past that. I lost that battle too. <laughs> exactly. I tried. Yeah. So, you know, which is, which is also, it's, it's freedom, freeing up in some ways because now I can sort of say, what's that thing I want to watch now? But, you know, I, I, I watch a lot of um, non-English uh, content as well, uh, you know, from around the world, whether it's like, you know, uh, you know, our German thriller Dark or Elite or, you know, Sex Ed uh, most recently, um, for sure. A bunch of the Asian content that we are doing, the anime stuff that we're doing is incredible. Some amazing stories um, that we're doing there. And then also, for sure, I have to watch some of the more innovative stuff we're doing, whether that's like Bandersnatch, uh, you know, from an interactive perspective, or Love, Death, and Robots, you know, which, which is sort of like a format uh, mix-up kind of Which you know, is about model, to launch. Yeah. Which is about to launch, yeah. so I'm excited about that. Okay, so you mentioned watching non-English titles. Is that something special that we have? Or like, why did you bring that one up in that whole game? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I am most excited about from a sort of high level and, and you know, value to users, value to content creators, and maybe even value to society is this idea that we can connect stories from around the world with our members from around the world in ways that have never ever happened before and you see it happening right now so this is it's this you know less of a uh, a dream and really something that we're seeing more of the early evidence for which is take a like a our turkish show the protector right or our german series dark or um spanish series elite right Brazilian stuff, like 3%, right? Yeah. These shows are traveling in ways that have never, ever, ever happened before because, one, we have you know global distribution. We're bringing it in a localized way which people can connect with and understand. But we're also presenting, we're connecting that story in a meaningful way. We're telling the story around that story that allows, let's say, that user in um, Japan to go try a Turkish television series and really enjoy it. And they never would have conceived of before watching a Turkish television Even series. if they had the ability, like how would they have the ability? They really? wouldn't even know. And they right. wouldn't even, they, wouldn't, they, wouldn't, they don't go out to the, to the video store and say like, I'm going to go look for the latest you know, Turkish TV series, right? But all of a sudden they find themselves watching this Turkish show and having a great time. And that's, you know, it's about that Turkish show, you know, and every show that we're doing around the world. And that's, I, I'm just blown away by that new connectivity that we're, we're building into the world. It feels very optimistic and lovely. Thank you. <laughs> I am quite optimistic about it yet, so... <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Cool. Thank you. We Are Netflix is hosted by Lyle Troxell. He's a senior software engineer at Netflix. You can keep up with We Are Netflix on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. To learn more about careers at Netflix, go to jobs.netflix.com. 